tonight and turn to Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7. Uh, hold your place there in Numbers and let's just go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 because we're going to talk about the area of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And let me just read uh, this passage. I think it uh, will provide us a a good basis for what we're going to talk about this evening. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And then we'll go back to Numbers chapter 7. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal both provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, ye may be ready. Lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not ye shall be ashamed in this same confident boasting." Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye have noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully." Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God." Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed uh, subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after, after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Now, the subject matter there is that of giving. And that's what we find here in Numbers chapter 7 as well. And we're going to to find some guidelines here uh, on giving. And as we come uh, to this chapter here in Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 7, we find a very interesting chapter. Uh, The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119, right? Uh, has 176 verses. Uh, but here you have the second longest chapter in the Bible, has 89 verses. Uh, so we're going to be here a while. No, 
We're not going to go each verse. But uh, you might ask, well, what's so interesting about this chapter? What is it all about? Well, the answer is that it's about the gifts of the princes. And uh, let's look at a, a portion of it, just a few verses. We won't read all 89 verses here, but notice verse um, uh, verse 1 and 2, first of all. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle, had anointed it and sanctified it, and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, had anointed them and sanctified them, and the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes, and were over them that were numbered, offered. And talks about the offerings, and it goes on down, and it's going to give us uh, the offerings of each of the twelve princes. Uh, Go down to verse 11. Notice what it says in verse 11. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, They that offer their offering, each prince on his day, for the dedicating of the altar, and he that offereth his offering the first day of Nashon, the son of Abinadab of the tribe of Judah, and his offering was one of silver charger, and the weight thereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were the full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of ten, uh, ten shekels of gold, full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for the sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Abinadab. Well, it's a whole lot easier to give these days, isn't it? Uh, you can just uh, either write a check or you can uh, get some cash and you can put it in the offering plate. Uh, can you imagine the giving of these offerings uh, there uh, in the uh, in that day? Uh, we haven't gotten to the point where we uh, provide a uh, card reader uh, for you at the. Our ushers don't go around with a credit card reader. I think some churches have that, uh, but uh, that's uh, uh, something that we haven't done here. But on the first day of the first month. In the second year after Israel was delivered from Egypt, the tabernacle would be erected and dedicated to the Lord. And on that day, the twelve tribes of Israel began to bring special offerings to the Lord to be used by the priests and the Levites in the tabernacle service. And the people had donated generously to the building of the tabernacle, and now they were contributing to its ministry and maintenance. And so what we read there in verses 11 through 17 was just one of the tribes, and that's what the rest of the chapter is pretty much about, uh, going through and giving what each of the uh, 12 princes uh, would give. Uh, so what does that mean to us? What can we learn from this chapter in Numbers? I believe there's at least three important things for us in this chapter, and then I want to look at one more lesson uh, as from the theme of this chapter. But first of all, God takes note of what we give. God takes note of what we give. Now, as you read through this chapter, you find it contains a lot of repetition, as I've already mentioned. For the 12 successive days, each of the tribal leaders brought identical gifts. 
And so we might think that this is a rather monotonous uh, chapter. We wonder why God didn't just use some ditto marks. <laughs> you know, and why didn't he say, and so and so and so and so did likewise? Now, you know, uh, that would have been a whole lot easier. Uh, but we must not miss the point that God took notice of each gift, of each leader, of each successive day. In fact, each leader is mentioned twice at the beginning of their report and at the end. Uh, we might um, have met these, uh, we've already met these uh, uh, leaders in chapter 1 and 2. And so the first thing we notice here is that details are important to God. Uh, sometimes people are detail people, and sometimes are people just go, you know, well, whatever happens, happens. God is a detail God. He's interested in the details, and he's interested in the details of your life, and they're important to him as well. Now, why is it possible, or excuse me, why is it impossible by modern prices to calculate the value of these gifts? Because really, if you think about it, if you would examine and study the gifts that are given, it's obvious that these were very costly and generous gifts. No doubt the 12 leaders got together, they decided what to give, and then they gave their respective tribes an opportunity to contribute. And the gifts were both expensive and useful, showing generosity and practicality. But the fact that God noted and recorded each name and each gift indicates his love for the individual believer. He knows your name. John 10, verse 3, it says, He calleth his own sheep by name. So he knows, knows your name tonight. You're not just a number. Uh, you're just not uh, a so-and-so there in Spooner uh, or wherever you live. You've got a name and God knows it. Luke 10 and verse 20, because your names are written in heaven. Uh, Philippians 4, 3, whose names are in the book of life. And so when we stand before the Lord, he's going to know who you are. He's not going to have to look it up in the book. He's going to know who you are. He will see us individually. It says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, and then shall every man have praise of God. And in, in verse three and verse eight, uh, chapter three, verse eight, it says, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Nobody's going to be overlooked and nobody will be lost in the crowd. You can't just say, well, I'm going to just sneak in and, and, uh, move in with the crowd. No, you're going to, each individual one of us is going to stand before the Lord. He's going to know who we are and what we've done. David kept a register of the names of his mighty men, we're told in 2 Samuel 23. Paul sent greeting and appreciation to his friends in Rome. Uh, you can read some of those names in Romans chapter 16. There are 26 of whom he named specifically and two that he just simply mentioned. But David was a great warrior, and where would he be without his mighty men? Paul was a great apostle and an evangelist, but he needed his helpers to get the job done. And just as with the ancient people, God want, wants his people today to be clean and separated. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan that said, when the church was the least like the world, 
the church did the most for the world. We say it again. When the church was the least like the world, the church did the most for the world. You see, we are a people that are blessed of the Lord. And with those blessings comes an obligation to be a blessing to others. God wants us to be a generous people, uh, supporting the local church, helping the work of the Lord around the world as he directs us. God is interested in each one of us as individuals. Uh, He knows exactly what you give to him. Uh, He knows how much you keep for yourself. And so we need to remember this book, the book of Numbers, is about counting, isn't it? And the question is, can God count on you? So first of all, we see God takes note of what we give. Secondly, giving is important in the Christian life. Giving plays an important part in the spiritual growth of the Christian because it is an area where, on the one hand, we have some great, some of the greatest battles, and yet on the other hand, we see some of the greatest victories and blessings. I read a, a, a survey that revealed that the number one area of greatest spiritual challenge for Christians is the battle with materialism. And this is so true. Uh, people uh, get out of church or they rob God because of their thirst for money and for material possessions they cannot satisfy. Uh, so many have lost their joy, the joy of their salvation because they get gripped with greed, like a moth in a spider's web. Many end up losing their friends and even their families because they're consumed with money. Listen, a lust for money will destroy your life. Uh, the story is told of a man that had a heart attack. And uh, he was rushed to the hospital. Uh, he could receive very little company and was not to be excited. Not to get excited. While the hospital, in the hospital, uh, his uncle died and left him a million dollars. Now, his family was concerned that how do we break the news to him when he's not supposed to have much excitement? Now, you'd get excited if an uncle or a relative left you a million dollars, wouldn't you? Well, they're not, you're not, this man's not supposed to get excited, so how do you let him know that? Well, they decided to ask the pastor to go and break the news quietly to the man. Pastor went into the room, he kind of visited with him a little bit, and gradually he came to the question, and the pastor asked the man, what would you do? What would you do if you inherited a million dollars? The man said, I'd give half of it to the church. Pastor dropped dead. (laughs) You see, money does get people excited. And the person who learns to give to others and to God begins to conquer that love of self and pride and arrogance and doubts in the ability of God to supply their needs and the love of money and things that will turn to dust one day. I think most of us uh, know uh, what a paradox is, don't we? You know what a paradox is? It's, no, no, it's not two doctors who share the same office, okay? That's not a paradox. Well, um, No, a paradox is a statement contrary to common sense, and yet it is true. It's contrary to common sense, but yet it is true. 
Uh, the Bible is full of paradoxes. Look at it. Strength comes from weakness. That's one of the paradoxes you'll find in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and through 10, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay, that's a statement contrary to common sense, but it is true. Because he goes on to say, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that's one paradox. Well, there's another one, uh, and that's freedom comes from being a bond slave. When we become a, a, a servant which in many times is used, uh, is the word uh, doulos, which means bond slave, uh, there is great freedom in that. When we empty our, uh, well, the third one is, when we are empty, we're filled. That's a paradox. When we empty ourselves, uh, we're empty of self, we can be filled by the Holy Spirit. Be not drunken with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.18. Uh, rest comes through labor. Remember that tomorrow when you go to work. <laughs> rest comes through labor. You say, That's, that doesn't make sense. But what does the Bible tell us? And in Matthew 11.28, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and, I will, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, there's another one in the Bible, and that is the way up is down, and the way uh, down is up. See, that doesn't make sense. But that's what Luke 14, 11 tells us, for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Uh, another one is profit comes through loss. Uh, try to tell that to uh, your financial advisor. Profit comes through loss. Philippians 3, five, uh, 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, just as these paradoxes are all true, there's one more that's just as true as the rest. You know what that is? Getting comes from giving. Getting comes from giving. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, what I'm trying to share with you are Bible principles on giving that can change your life. And these principles, if applied, can bring tremendous blessing into your life, which can include spiritual blessings, emotional blessings, blessings of joy and contentment, blessings of having a purpose in life, and even material blessings. 
Now, some of the most joyful Christians I know are people who love to give to others and to the Lord. And the Lord wants you to give, or wants that, uh, wants uh, to give that joy to every one of us as believers. And that's the reason why Jesus spoke a great deal about giving and our relationship to money. In Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, one out of every six verses deals with money. Of the 29 parables that Jesus gave, 16 of them deal with money. So I believe that this is an important principle. This is an important doctrine from God's word. So first of all, God takes note of our giving. Secondly, giving is important in the Christian life. Thirdly, we will, we, we will give account for what we give. We will give an account for what we give. Now there are several Bible promises that we need to understand about giving and finances. First of all, in Proverbs 11, And verse 24, it says there, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but tendeth to poverty. Now those who know how to give have learned the secret of gaining more. Those who hoard or keep to themselves eventually lose out on many blessings. Uh, Some even lose what they hoard. If you want to multiply your blessings, then scatter or give what you have. Proverbs 28 and verse 27, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. You know, great things were accomplished in the Bible by people who gave sacrificially and applied principles of giving. I think of the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. In that story, you remember, the, the widow was down to her last morsel of food. She was ready to die. And Elijah asked her to give some food to him. And he tells us that God's promise is that God supplies the needs that they had miraculously, and God is still miraculously supplying needs today. She was going to not keep for herself what she thought uh, uh, she had to have, but she was willing to give to someone else. Also think of the of Mary of Bethany, Matthew 26. Uh, it says there, They came unto the, him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. And when his disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath brought a good work upon me, for ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, There shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. And you know what? Mary's life still challenges people more than 2,000 years later. And what what Jesus said of her is still true. And then I think of the widow in the temple in Luke 21. This uh, woman that Jesus observed was giving all that she had. 
She gave two mites or two small coins. And Jesus used this woman to teach the wealthy men how to give. Uh, She was a great blessing to Jesus. Now, don't underestimate the blessing of being a blessing to the Lord and others. You say, you know, blessing is getting things, right? No, great blessing can be from giving. You can receive a great blessing by giving. Now, these stories remind us that God is keeping notes. God is keeping a record of what we do for him. We will give an accounting of our lives to the Lord. Romans chapter 14 and verse 12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3.13-15 through 15, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man work, man's work abide which he hath Built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so here's a question. Are you sending your treasures ahead of you by giving to the Lord? Are you giving to the Lord's work? Notice I said the Lord's work. Will you give a good accounting to, to Christ? Take note in Matthew six nineteen of Jesus' warning. He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither, uh, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." It was uh, James L. Kraft, the head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, had given approximately 25% of his enormous income to Christian causes for many years. And he said this, The only investment I ever made which was paid consistently, increasing dividends, is the money I gave to the Lord. So a very wealthy uh, businessman. J.D. Rockefeller said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. You see, God promises that where we reap, we we will reap uh, wherever we sow. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And God also wants us to understand a negative principle about money. You find this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes 5, beginning in verse 10, it says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. 
whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Those are some principles that the uh, the wise uh, author of Ecclesiastes gave, and I believe it's very true. We lose that which we hoard, and the story is told of Sadie Seeker, who li- uh, served many years as a house parent for missionaries, uh, missionary children in the Philippines, and she loved books. And though she gladly loaned out some of those books, others she treasured in a footlocker underneath her bed. Once in the quiet of the night, Sadie heard a fainting, a faint gnawing sound. After searching all around her room, she discovered the noise was coming from her footlocker, and when she opened it, she found nothing but an enormous pile of dust. All the books she had kept for herself were lost to termites. Now, the lesson I think there is what we give away, we keep. And what we hoard, we do lose. You see, we're going to give an account for what we give. God takes note of our giving. Giving is important in the Christian life, and we will give, we will give an account. And then fourthly, what are we to give to the Lord? What are we to give to the Lord? You know, when a person speaks about giving, people just assume we're talking about money, aren't we? Well, that's a big mistake, because that's not the only thing you can give. Scripture teaches us a number of things we can give to the Lord. First of all, we can give your time to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 16 and 17, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What can you do with your time? You say, time? Who has time? I'm so busy, I don't have any extra time to give. Well, maybe that's the problem. Perhaps you're too busy. Too busy for the Lord. Uh, Perhaps there needs to be some priorities established in your life. Uh, So what kind of time can we give to the Lord? Well, we can walk with the Lord in our Bible reading, in our study and prayer. Hosea 10, 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time... To seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So walk with the Lord in your Bible reading and study and prayer. Be faithful to your attendance to the services of our church. Notice I said services. That's plural. Uh, Visit people. Witness to them. Invite them to church. Uh, Be prepared for your responsibilities in the church. And that takes some time. Be ready to help in some area of service, whether it be in the church or helping someone else. Again, helping your neighbors. Give your time to the Lord. Secondly, give your talents to the Lord. Use your abilities to glorify God. Maybe you can paint or work or build or help or encourage. Maybe you can play an instrument or sing. There's no excuse for doing nothing. Do your best. Maybe you can't do many things, but there's something that everyone can do. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave 
whether thou goest. One of these days, it'll be too late to use the talent and the abilities that you have. Thirdly, give your testimony to the Lord. Our attitude ought to be, Lord, I will live in such a way that brings honor and glory to you. I will not hurt the cause of Christ by the grace of God. You know, people are watching us. And I trust we'll glorify the Lord with our lives. Second Corinthians 3, 2 says, Ye are our epistle in our hearts, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Second Corinthians 5, 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled unto God. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. What we do does reflect upon the Lord, just as the actions of an ambassador reflect upon the country that he represents. You need to give your testimony and your reputation to the Lord so you won't be fretting about what others say about you. If you live for Christ, some people will criticize you. They'll destroy you. Uh, Again, we said this morning, we ought to rejoice when that happens. We ought to rejoice. When you give your testimony to the Lord, it's in His hands. Our responsibility is to live for Jesus Christ and let the Lord take care of the rest of the issues and circumstances. 1 Peter 3 and verse 16 says, Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Fourthly, give your trust to the Lord. Of course, your faith is to be in Jesus Christ. Your expectations are to be in him, not in this pastor, not in uh, even parents, not in the police department, not in people, not in politicians. Your expectations are to be in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Psalm 62, 5 says, My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. You see, when you put your expectation in people, you'll become disappointed. You'll be, sometimes you'll become bitter. And you make the people you have expectations in your prisoner. They become prisoners to your expectations. But God wants you to trust him. Don't give the Lord the leftovers of your life. Someone put it this way in a poem. Leftovers are such humble things. We would not serve to a guest, and yet we serve them to our Lord who deserves the very best. We give to him leftover time, stray minutes here and there. Leftover cash we give to him, such few coins as we can spare. We give our youth unto the world, to hatred, lust, and strife. And then in declining years, we give to him the remnant of our life. We need to give God our time, our talents, our testimony, our trust. And then we need to give our troubles to the Lord as well. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then give tribute to the Lord. 
We're to praise and glorify Him. Psalm 29, verse 1 and 2 says, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 57 and verse 7 says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Have you fixed your heart on the things of God? Or are they fixed on the things of this world? Number seven, give thanks to the Lord. That's something we do, we should do every day. Not one day, not one week of the year, but every day. Psalm 30, verse 12, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee once a year. No, forever, forever. Psalm 35, verse 18, I will give thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. And then number eight, give the tithe and the offering to the Lord. Malachi 3, 8 says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer of your, for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Proverbs 3, nine says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of thine increase. And some people will say, well, I can't afford to give. You know what the answer to that is? You can't afford to neglect giving to the Lord. You see, being a miser with God will rob you of his blessings. One notorious miser was called on by the chairman of the community charity and the chairman said, Sir, our records show that despite your wealth, you never once gave to our drive. The miser replied, Do you, uh, Does your records uh, show that I have an elderly mother who was left penniless when my father died? Do your records show that I have a disabled brother who is unable to work? Do your records show that I have a widowed uh, sister with, a, sm- with small children who can barely make ends meet? Well, the embarrassed chairman replied, No, sir, our records don't show these things. And the miser replied, Well, I don't give to any of them, so why should I give any to you? Listen, God help us not to have that kind of an attitude. The Bible tells us what kind of attitude we should have when it comes to giving. Uh, we won't look at all the scriptures, but you can study in the Bible. The Bible is very clear, as I've mentioned already. Jesus took, uh, talked uh, quite extensively about giving and about money. But our giving should be willingly, should be liberally, should be cheerfully, regularly, according to our ability, and with simplicity. And the Bible further tells us that giving ensures treasure in heaven, and brings future blessing and provision. Let me just close with this illustration. In the latter part of the 17th century, a German preacher by the name of August Frank found an orphanage to care for the homeless children of Haley. 
And one day when Frank uh, desperately needed funds to carry on his work, a destitute Christian widow came to his door begging for uh, a gold coin. And because of his financial situation, he politely said regretfully uh, he could not help her. Disheartened, the woman began to weep. Moved by her tears, Frank asked her to wait while he went to his room to pray. And after seeking God's guidance, he felt that the Holy Spirit wanted him to change his mind. And so trusting the Lord to meet his own needs, he gave her the money. Two mornings later, he received a letter of thanks from the widow. She explained that because of his generosity, she had asked the Lord to shower the orphanage with gifts. And that same day, Frank received 12 gold coins from a wealthy lady and two more from a friend in Sweden. He thought he had been amply rewarded for helping the widow, but he was soon informed that the orphanage was to receive 500 gold coins from an estate of Prince Ludwig von Wittenberg. And when he heard this, he wept in gratitude. He sacrificially provided for that needy widow, but he was enriched, not impoverished. Listen, God wants us to do our giving while we're living. And so that we are knowing where we're going. Someone has said, God has given you two hands, one to receive with and the other to give. And we're not to be cisterns made for hoarding, but we're to be channels made for blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for...